right over my look over here. Judge a blessing with the brightest light And I shine upon the youth them blind Go with their eyes of the truth and right Their eyes of the truth and right And until the day that my soul takes flight Babylon will hear my voice Go with their eyes of the truth and Welcome to another episode of Checkmate, a political podcast from Tenement Yard Media. You can follow us on Twitter at tenementyard underscore, and you can visit our website at www.tenementyardmedia.com. And I'm the host for this episode. My name is Paige. And in this episode, we'll be talking to Raim Ron Augustine Joseph, the chair of St. Lucia National Youth Parliament and a student of political science and law at UE Cave Hill and the St. Lucian. So thank you so much for joining me, Ryan. No problem. Um, thank you very much for having me as well. It's always a pleasure to be able to present in spaces like these. I believe it, it allows young people and people generally to be able to understand the, the political climate a bit better and be able to recognize the importance of voting. And hopefully that somebody, that this inspires them to go out tomorrow or have a greater and clearer sense of, of what the environment entails. Thank you. Um, thank you. We appreciate that. And um, for our listeners, the St. Lucia elections are on Monday. So you should be listening to this on a Monday. Um, so if you are in St. Lucia, please, please go out and vote. We all know how um, extremely important that is. And um, Ryan, for our listeners, would you mind giving me a breakdown of the two main political parties in St. Lucia? All right, so I could start with the Senusha Labour Party. The Senusha Labour Party is essentially a, a social democratic party, yeah? Um, and that party would have sort of been the, the first party created within St. Lucia. And, and most definitely what their main focus continues to be, as I would have mentioned, is a, a lot of social democracy. So they prioritize education. Um, they prioritize a lot of ownership of the country by the citizens who, who work within this country. Um, they really believe in ensuring that that you sort of share the wealth equitably across the society. And even more than that, that it really is based in a political ideology um, that rejects the idea of, of wealth creation by the top only. Yeah. Um, but of course, I don't know that we, we have the time to be able to go into the real nitty-gritty and the historical um, significance of social democracy. But the UW, on the other hand, is a more conservative party, yeah? And that party really speaks to keeping tradition. It speaks to being able to grow the economy um, via innovation, um, entrepreneurship, and that this innate sense of, of that if you work as hard as you can, then you could possibly make it to the end type of thing. Um, so these are, the for me, the two main differences, as I said, between the two. One, conservative. Um, and we, of course, a lot of people have been able to make these similarities between Republican Party of the United States and the United Workers Party. And of course, other parties across the region, the JLP, etc. And, yeah. and the SLP focusing, well, in line with the BLP and the, and the Dems, um, and some of the other political parties who, who, who come out of that particular orientation. Great, thank you for that. Um, and you um, mentioned not wanting to go too deep into 
um, the history of these political parties. But if you could just give me a quick overview of how these parties came to be and this, the significance for, for St. Lucia. I know that's a heavy lift for quick, but um, I really would like to hear a bit more about that. Well, really, this initial liberal party would have sort of come out of the of the struggle movement, yeah, the the movement for for adult suffrage, the movement of trade unions. As a matter of fact, the founder of the party was a great trade unionist, and therefore it came out of that particular movement to ensure that workers and poor people and people generally were rep their interests were represented um within within that particular time. Um, on the other end, you had the United Workers Party, which, as a matter of fact, became um, was a break out of the um, um, St. Lucia Labour Party, led by um, John Compton, who sort of took away, moved away from that particular party and created his own party. And that this party would have sort of was formed around 1964, thereabout by the alliance between an another party which was the people's progressive party um and that there were certain members of these parties who came together to be able to form the united workers party yeah as a matter of fact these part that particular party the united workers party has won the most elections between the two um from that breakaway and their and their leader would have been the one to take senusha into into independence um so john Compton, of course he and he's called the, the father of the nation. So you would have taken Senusha into independence around 1979, thereabout, and of course won many elections after that. But as I said, the origin is really a breakaway um, from the Labour Party um, to be able to create the this new party. And it really is a merger of the, the People's Progressive Party, which was one of the others, and the National Labour Movement. And that is sort of how the these two parties at least formed, for, for the most part, in very, very... in as much de detail as possible. Thank you for that. And I think that um, I had a chance to read the manifestos from both parties. And I think that exactly, I saw exactly what you've just outlined. Um, the SLP was way more focused on tax relief for pensioners. I think I saw a tertiary education fund in there, CXC exam fee assistance, um reviving castries as the most attractive city in the eastern caribbean protecting access to public beaches so it does have the same feel of um a lot of the more left-leaning parties in 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 the caribbean and, and elsewhere whereas the uwp was talking about debt reduction diversifying the economy lowering corporate tax attracting attracting foreign direct investment expanding infrastructure, the kind of things that we see from more conservative parties in the Caribbean. Would you, what I'd like for you is to just comment a bit on the, the manifestos and what, what you see that possibly looking like, because I'm, you know, I'm used to reading political manifestos and thinking these are amazing ideas, but how much of this is actually going to get done? Um, so I just wanted you to comment on those manifestos. Yeah, so so on one side, in relation to, to youth development and sports, you have the the UWP focusing on being able to ensure that they increase capacity and infrastructure for, for youth youth spaces. Um and that more so the difference between these two manifestos is that while the UW focuses a whole lot on infrastructure, 
and of course that's part of the the political ideology the slp focuses on on building capacity yeah um and that you have the slp speaking about a national service core which in some instances has started um but has not blossomed into what it can be um in comparison to the united workers party speaking a whole lot about youth engagement through through sports um and through the national sports academy that has really been set up which has a lot of work to do being to being able to be a a sport where young people could thrive within the area of sports mm. i think for the most part as well in relation to to sports the united workers party has embarked upon embarked upon a sports agenda which has been the installation of a lot of astroturfs across the country and therefore it allows for footballers etc to be able to play um but some have also argued and i i too have been within the vanguard of that that it has been at the expense of cricket and therefore the two need to be able to coexist and therefore the slp manifesto speaks to ensuring that some of these facilities are um are retrofitted or rather that some facilities sorry are, are beefed up so that cricket could take place, etc. So you really have a combination of, of, of these sports. Um, where I think that they both lack is speaking about how exactly do you create a local government structure or rather you work on associations to be able to ensure that they're equally part of the developmental trajectory for sports. Um, but they, spoke, they focus heavily on, on the training of coaches and attempting at least to start the tide of, of building a sports culture. I mean, of course, I think we are far away from it, but it's something to be able to, to endeavor. The education portfolio, very quickly, from the SLP is also very instructive. They speak a whole lot about introducing history in schools, introducing heritage, um, ensuring that you sort of start to create global citizens, and that, interestingly enough, as you would have mentioned earlier, the idea of paying the facility fees um, and the CXE subjects for students. As a matter of fact, they've already set a target by 2023 to be able to pay for all subjects um, and all um, for all students. You also have them focusing on being able to use research as a driving mechanism for, for economic development via the education system with a particular focus on, on CVQs and TVET and some of these things. And all these things are, are really well. Um, but of course, a lot of people may look at it with pessimism, both political parties manifesto because it's one, not as specific, as we would like it to be, but two, because some people will just say politicians just like talk. Yeah? Um, and that the UWP as well also focuses on being able to create global citizens and increase, um, sort of create a national vocational center and a na national agricultural sector, et cetera, um, center, et cetera. So we're not able, we're not able to delineate the, the pros and cons within, within this particular um, place, but it really just gives me an opportunity to just share some of the, the, the things that they're both, they both are doing in relation to crime. Um, one party focuses on preventative measures to crime and one party focuses on remedial measures to crime. And therefore, when you put the two of them together, you sort of have a perfect crime strategy. Um, and therefore, as I said, a lot of pros and cons within the manifesto and that some people um, have, have really been impressed with the graphical and pictorial element of the United Workers Party manifesto. But at the same time, some have touted the SLP own because it's it's easier to read and it's easier to follow and a bit more structured, etc. So so really, these are some of the differences or at least the policy differences between the two. Um, one, as you would have mentioned, speaks about reductions in value-added tax. Um, and the SLP also speaks about being able to ensure that you have 
more money in your pocket by way of removal of your of tax if you earn four thousand dollars and less to be able to ensure that you have some sort of stimulation within the economy as per what as per what they're saying um and some sort of relief within this particular time so these are just the, the basic differences in some instances actually no yeah thank you thank you and i i do having read both manifestos i do agree that bslp's manifesto is easier to read only because that first page it outlines those 15 things and it's like bam you know like one two three fifteen um and you can clearly see it whereas i think um the uwp's manifesto it's really long it's really lengthy i had to sift through it and i'm like okay these are a lot of things but i can't really tell what the priorities are but i think that both both parties have really really interesting um, ideas. I loved that there. Um, there was a lot of focus on agriculture and renewable energy. I loved. I loved. Loved. Loved seeing that. So um, yeah, I'm just interested in seeing how this election plays out and how the the coming term for whichever party um, looks like in relation to this very public manifesto that we have to to essentially hold them accountable to. Um, so I think that it's um, interesting times to come. Yeah, thank you for that. But even before I do so, allow me, you'd forgive me if I go a few seconds to be able to just speak of the historical significance of this election. I think any election that happens within the context of COVID-19, considering the economic, social, environmental, and, and all of these concerns, is really a historic one. And therefore, the extent to which citizens come out to be able to decide what their future looks like within that context is always important. You know all too well about the, the voter apathy and the low voter turnout across the region specific to COVID-19 elections. Of course, this one being a bit later towards the end, and I don't know that we could fully classify it as a COVID election considering Trinidad and Jamaica and, and all these other countries that we'd have seen. But even more than that, I would go beyond that to say that even polit some political strategists have also noted that the best time for one to have been able to call the election was really during the, the pandemic because of this idea of the disaster effect and that one would sort of vote based on what they're seeing in front of them if a government is is handling the pandemic well then that they would sort of give them another chance because the idea to start over would be would be asinine but within this particular election st lucia st lucia's election is a, an important one because within the past few weeks you've seen a lot of prominent political figures removing themselves from the established United Workers Party. So you had the former Prime Minister Stevenson King submitting his resignation and running as an indep independent candidate because of arguments that he's made that he said that, listen, that I can't recognize this party anymore. I can't recognize the values and beliefs that we hold so dear anymore. And therefore, I'm moving away. You have a lot of other political figures who sort of been ousted for a bit of term from the political environment coming back to lend support to him and lend support to, to other independent candidates you also have a, a very mighty political figure in the name of richard frederick who has been able to dominate the political landscape over the next the last five years sorry by way of the media and therefore you have this this sense of a whistleblower for you a better term who constantly every single thursday night informs this country of, of alleged corruption um and other improprieties within government and he too has now taken the mantle up to then run for office but it's interesting because he would have been part of the same united workers party um that he would have that he's now um chastising for their for their um for their improprieties it's actually the first election as well 
that in the region that has three prime ministers participating and that two of these prime ministers former are not going within the political leadership so stevenson king former prime minister of the, of the united workers party or at least from the united workers party is running independent kenny bianton would have served or dr kenny bianton would have served from 1997 up till 2006 thereabout is also within this election but as a parliamentary representative and you have the incumbent the prime prime minister shastney so that is the environment in which we also live of course historically is for, for history purposes as well this is also the first elections where people on remand are allowed to vote um and, and therefore there are a lot of political developments going on in, in relation to to saint lucia's elections and that there is a lot of look towards what exactly the outcome would be and a lot of pundits are calling for a very close election while i'm at it there are a lot of there are other political figures who who've come out within this particular landscape who have interest voters so you have a, a candidate very young candidate about 30 years there about I, I mean i don't know if the un would call this young but uh, youth is not an age but rather a, a thinking <laughs> um jeremiah norbert who suffered a fatal accident actually um and lost his leg but he's still contesting the election and he has really been able to electrify a particular um district which has been known to be the um the stronghold of the united workers party as a matter of fact for history purposes this party has never voted the the Senusha labor party um because this was the party this was the the seat held by by the um by the father of the nation but he has been able to electrify this particular seat um and that there are a lot of candidates from both political parties who are exciting i think the addition to this political climate and environment which has also been interesting is the extent to which music has been used i think for a long time solutions have missed the carnival and they've missed being able to go out so being able to to feel elections within the context of music and the songs and you have clashes and people writing songs against each other and then that they, they that i write this song for um for you and therefore i'm gonna respond with another song has really added flavor and value i mean flavor to the election yeah. um and therefore these are just some of the developments that have gone out um in relation relation to the political climate i mean just a quick aside to the music um i have a good friend dylan shout out to dylan who um he's saint lucian and we had a conversation about this because i i just wanted to get um everyday person's feel of this and his his feel with the incorporation of music was that it was a distraction from the real issues. And um, I know a lot of people in Jamaica who feel the same about music being incorporated into it. And I personally don't view it as a distraction. I think if anything, it's just a fun, lively way to, you know, incorporate into something that is rather mundane. Like you walk into a place, you put your finger on a thing, you do those things. Um, what what are your thoughts on on the incorporation of of music, or do you have any really? I think I think it it can be a distraction to the extent that it replaces the time for actual political conversations. I think it, a dangerous trend is starting to happen in relation to the entertainment side of of politics. Is that people are no longer, or rather, starting to no longer be concerned about what the real issues are, and that they're not spending time um to to dissect and delineate some of these issues but i don't think that that's as a result of music <laughs> i think for a long a long time the apathy in relation to politics has been growing because people for the most part don't see uh, 
any sort of real impact or rather real benefit directly from what central government is doing or government generally. But I always say to them that the direct impact, believe you me, you, you probably, it's not where you want it to be, but you can always see it. And therefore, when I ask young people or people generally um, to be able to get involved in politics, not necessarily elective politics, but politics generally, I do so on the basis, cognizant that politics is not just about elections, but rather it really has an impact on every single thing that you do. So from what you eat and what you buy and what you drink um, and the price at the, at the, at the gas pumps, um, the prices at the supermarket, what the future of, your, of work looks like, all of these things are political conversations. But I think it really spices up the election, especially within the context of, of, of West Indies elections. And I think that that is something that I don't want our political system to ever move away from because West Indians have a particular way of always taking a particular field and making it suited to them. So perfect example, cricket. The idea of cricket being this quote-unquote boring sport um, that you play for 10 days straight and you have clapping head and every West Indians have jettisoned this idea. And they've said that we're going to add the flavor and the spice to cricket so that it now becomes our own. I think music in relation to um, um, elections is something that is really, is something of a West Indian own. And Tenusha's own is particularly interesting because of the, the, the duality in the languages. So you have a lot of Creole songs being created and Creole being the, 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 other, the other language. Um, and that for the most part, because some people have argued that Creole makes everything more aggressive. So therefore, these songs that, that say a whole lot of things um, essentially speak, speak to that. I could give you a very basic example, which I think everybody is, is enjoying, that there's a particular candidate called um, Angelina Ferropolius, whose song is saying that... Um, how can I not remember it now? Oh, Lord. Yes, um, that... All right, so her, her, her opposing candidate is saying that... Her name is Fera, Yeah. Um, and they're attempting to say that she needs therapy and that fera pui. Now, pui in solution means stick. So it's fera stick um, and she needs therapy. So it's a lot of these things, especially considering that there was no calypso in these things this year. But that is the environment that we, that we, that we live in. Um, and then, of course, he would have responded because he, she's saying that he's gonna, he's gonna, she's going to get him out of office. And he's saying that she has, she's stuck she, he will not be taking a back seat because her song speaks to him taking a back seat, but rather he will be having a hat trick. So it, it's a, a lot of these things that um, allow voters to, to feel the energy. Um, and I think it's important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I do as well. And you, you touched on this a bit about youth. And as we know in the Caribbean, youth is anywhere from 18 to 45, unfortunately. Um, would you be able to speak about youth representation um, in this election just a bit more in depth? Yeah, so you have you have a few youth youth candidates um around. So you have Kenton Casimir, you have um from the Central Labour Party, you have Jeremiah Norbert. Um, I think on the on this end of the United Workers Party, I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't think you have anyone who falls within the remit of of that particular age. But what you see a lot in relation to these political parties is that young people form a, a, a good cohort of the establishment. Of course, some, some have argued that they're not as influential in the decision-making, and therefore I would love to see that increase. Um, but they form a good cohort of, of these political parties via established youth arms um, and some of these other structures. 
and therefore the young people have been in, engaged intimately within politics, not necessarily elective, but rather the other machineries of politics on a day-to-day basis. So the canvassers and and the the clerks, um, um, the agents, sorry, and those who create the music and those who work the ground, and you have that support. So it, it, they they form these machineries, but not necessarily within the context of electoral elective politics. As a matter of fact. You have from the Central Labour Party a very long time ago, a lot of youthful candidates even making their way into the into the cabinet. So I speak of Menesa Rambali and some of the others. And the United Workers Party equally have had some people who you could, I guess, for the most part, classify as young people, not not only, not necessarily by age, but by disposition, for as some may see. And therefore, you have these things happening between these political parties. So electoral of elective politics, not so much but rather within the other machineries of, of government, within the actual machineries of the, of the political party. But of course, when we get into the discussion about the manifesto, we could then start to give the outlook as to where exactly do we see um, the youth engagement and youth within politics and youth, youth employment and some of these, some of these other things. But, but what I could also say very quickly is that I hope that the political parties, even after, start to not necessarily only pay lip service to, to youth engagement and youth in politics, but actively have them as part of administrations. So the Senate, um, so and I think the SLP has also mentioned as part of their manifesto, ensuring that there is one young person as part of every single statutory board, um, as one, a very statutory corporation. And they speak of youth engagement in that way. But I want to see young people take up greater spaces within the administration of whoever wins. And that also could, could assist in, in that regard. Yeah, no, I think, I think that all Caribbean countries need to incorporate young people because, you know, you, you hear young people are the future, young people are the future, but they're largely locked out of the decision-making elements of, of political life. And I think that incorporating young people will not only bring new and fresh ideas, but buy-in from young people to what the government is actually doing. Um, thank you. you. We chatted a bit about COVID, and I think the last I checked, there were, and correct me if I'm wrong, there were 100-plus active cases of covid um, in St. Lucia. Can you chat a bit about the current government, so the UWP's handling of COVID, and do you think that impacts their chances of winning, or what role do you think that that plays? Um, and again, you talked about having a COVID election, and here in Jamaica, we definitely did have one right in the middle of COVID. The voter turnout was only 37%, um, which is um, don't quote me on this, but I think possibly one of, if not the lowest, voter turnout in Jamaica for a very, very long time. Um, so can you talk a bit about the handling of COVID and the government and just what what that might look like? Yeah, so the, the COVID-19 response in the initial phase would have, been, would have been promising. I think St. Lucia really started off on a good footing and as a matter of fact, the administration touted of, of how great they were considering their ability to be able to manage cases um, and manage the spread, etc. I think over time, just as any other administration across the region, um, we've not been able to manage it as well um, because I think it has come from a philosophical position of the, this administration of being able to coexist with COVID and being able to ensure that your borders are still open because we don't live in isolation and that we don't live in a bubble. I think, as I mentioned, the, the initial phase would have been would have been very good. But as over time, 
you you recognize that it's sort of attempt you have that disintegration you have that lessening on the importance you have the the idea that it seems to be going away or rather we're not even bothering with it anymore i think what people would have also liked to see in relation to the covid recovery or co- dealing with covid is not necessarily the the um the strictly the health um aspect but rather economic recovery and even more so social benefits so you had for the first three months there about a certain sense of um unemployment benefit so to say um to people who would have lost their jobs as a result of covid uh, beyond this you did not have as much stimulus as people would have wanted um as as i would have liked to see to be able to ensure that people go back to work for use of a better term you had disruption in education and a whole other things i could tell you that this administration would have attempted to retrofit certain um, facilities to ensure that you have quarantine facilities, which are, which are really good. Um, so the, 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 the dilapidated, for use of a better term, Victoria Hospital would have been retrofitted to accommodate a, um, a respiratory facility. Of course, it still has some very fundamental flaws, but that you have some of these things happening to be able to ensure that they manage the spread. As political strategists would have noted, I don't know that COVID has so much of an effect now in people's minds. I think the the consequences of COVID may be the prime motivations for people voting. So what I, what is my situation in relation to employment? What is my situation in being able to, to um, deal with tomorrow? And therefore, maybe people may classify this as a really um, voting based on what COVID has done. But I think a lot of these other issues um, that emanate from COVID would be in the prime motivations of people's minds. Um, in relation to its to its impact, I think more so more so than than before, you have a situation where right now people within quarantine are not able to vote, and of course, I I have my particular objections to that because I I think it's undemocratic. I think it's it's unconstitutional because these people did not call a virus onto themselves, and therefore the people within the electoral commission had the have the leeway under the elections act to be able to ensure that you have quarantine the quarantine facilities operate as polling stations because i believe that these people as well also deserve to ensure that they, that their ballots are, are cast but even beyond that you also have at least within this time a sense of a sense of false normalcy in relation to political campaigning because the campaigning is not fully virtual as some would have liked it to, to be, considering that we're not out of the woods yet and that you have a very low vaccination rate. And therefore, your low vaccination rate is indicative of the caution that you need to take. But I don't know that we're heeding to that caution, and I pray and hope that there isn't a spike after, because then we would have to shut down because we were just reckless over the past two, three weeks. Um, and therefore, I don't know that we spent enough time re-socializing people into what political campaigns should be considering the circumstances of COVID. Um, thank you for bringing that up because that was going to be my next point is to have you talk a bit about the COVID protocols for the election. I, I did see some videos of campaigning happening in person, no masks in sight, and I got a bit worried, but I'm just wondering about the actual day of the election. What do COVID protocols look like? Well, for the actual day, I think it, it's laid out well enough. Um, so the same social distancing protocols, um, ensuring that the the polling stations and the the the, the places where you go to vote, beyond polling stations, etc., they are 
that they are sanitized, etc. I think for the most part, the regular protocols will continue to exist. Um, and therefore, I don't know that it's going to cause any major issues. I think um, what's going to happen, obviously, is that it's going to take much longer to vote. And therefore, people need to be as patient as possible, considering that this really is a, is a new territory. Um, and, and that on the day, it will take a bit longer. But of course, it, it will be done. No, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and I'm really glad that those protocols are in place because it's it would be really unfortunate to have a post-election spike um, at this point in time, just given all of the things we've seen from COVID and how shutdowns affect these um, Caribbean islands. Uh, lastly, I just wanted you to talk about the, the just overall mood in St. Lucia uh, towards the election. I think I think solutions are are happy um because there has been calls by the by the opposition a lot that the elections needed to have been called and the prime minister has noted quite rightfully so that it really was his prerogative to do so um and therefore even if because the constitution allows you a three months after the first sitting well the at the fifth anniversary of the parliament and therefore that could have taken us all the way to October and therefore, the opposition was speaking about the, the Westminster conventions um, to the extent that everybody knows that you call it within five years and that you don't, as they would have mentioned, you don't spend six years in a five-year tomb. So I think solutions generally are, are happy to be able to go out and express it so that at this particular juncture, you now, whether you, you create, you whether you put in a new government, that they have a very clear mandate of of being able to, to see where this country needs to go in a post-COVID world. Because it has been very difficult, or rather it is very difficult on the eve of elections, or rather elections, or rather being able to do things or chart a new developmental trajectory that is needed in a post-COVID world very close to the election. And therefore, government needs to have a very clear mandate um, from the people to be able to ensure that they're able to do that. But I think generally from the, from the, the, the videos that, that you see, I think you could see that solutions are quite happy and energetic as they normally are to go out to the polls um, this time around and really have their have their say. I know both political parties are will continue to rile up their base to be able to ensure that their base um, goes out to vote and that the, the attempt to as much as possible convince the moderate and the undecided voters that they too must also go out to vote. I think the mood is what what the mood has always been. Um, but there is also a worrying, growing sense of um, of um, apathy that people generally are nonchalant to it because of the they're saying that listen, this doesn't change anything, and that all politicians will do what politicians do. And I always say to them that listen to me that there are differences in politicians because you're not any you you you're not the same as your brother or your mother or anybody else, and therefore politicians should not be removed from the idea of differences because they both political parties have two philosophical differences but even beyond that that sometimes i think we we're a bit too critical um on what we what what we think politics is supposed to be and that politics is really not about perfection life isn't about perfection but rather politics is about the art of what what is possible and therefore not having your your vote cast is essentially allowing other people to be able to do it for you and one of the greatest um, um, political, one of the greatest political tenets of, of this 
this sense of democracy within the region is really, really freedom. And therefore, some have said that, listen, the only way that people are going to value this vote is if that is taken away from my fear that this day never comes. But of course, people need to be able to recognize the historical underpinnings of being able to have a vote and being able to exercise it, considering uh, that, and of course, I don't need to go into the, the history of, of adult suffrage and, and all of the barriers to voting in a pre-independence world, which justifies why we should vote now. But as I said, I think generally the mood is to go out um, generally and exercise their vote. No, thank you. Thank you so much. And I think this is a great place um, to end that uh, with the charge being go out and vote um, to, to the St. Lucians. Thank you so much, Ryan, for your time and for, for your insights. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. So let me just obviously thank you for, for having me. And of course, I encourage people generally to go out and, and exercise that right and that recognizing that democracy is is this experiment of democracy for use of a, a better um, phrase is really not only about voting, but rather holding people's feet to the wheels and, and ensuring that you hold them accountable even in a post in a post-election date. And therefore, democracy is not just about that particular day. And I think that, that is some of the these, these are some of the things that we do wrongly within our society that we sort of just like politicians do remember about the importance of politics and voting on on one day and therefore democracy is more than that it requires a constant um engagement with with leaders it requires a constant engagement within the political system and ensuring that it can continually serves the interests of people and that it needs to move beyond the the one day so i just want people to, as much as possible to exercise that franchise to ensure that they they recognize that listen that every single vote matters because it really is one vote one one person and therefore that it has a difference and that you could never get the perfect candidate because just like life politics isn't about about what what's perfect but about what's possible thank you and on that note um thank you so much again for your time and amazing amazing insights i really appreciate it um and for our listeners this has been another episode of the Checkmate Political Podcast by Tenement Yard Media. Don't forget to check us out on social media at tenementyard underscore, and that's on Twitter, and on our website at www.tenementyardmedia.com. And don't forget to share the podcast. Always. Yeah. Right over my love over here. Oh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Judge your best eye with the brightest light. And I a shine upon the you, them blind God with they are of the truth and right They are of the truth and right And until the day that my soul takes flight Babylon will hear my voice God with they are of the truth and right